Our scripture reading this morning is Hebrews 2, 5 through 9. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The word of God for the people of God. He has put everything subject under his feet. So imagine someone wakes up on a morning, they turn on the news, and everything looks like the world is out of control, Uh, economy going in one direction, wars in Europe again, um, violence and division among um, our citizens, and no sense of things being subject to him. Someone goes to work after watching the news of a world that looks like it's just um, uh, out of control, and um, there's no evidence of Jesus uh, on, the, on the drive. Everything is promoting products. If you look at the billboards, they're... Um, looking at things to give us luxury and comfort and security, and uh, we look for things that give us pleasure and entertainment and money, and we go to work and so often uh, work among people who use other people, who um, life is all about entertainment Life is all about what I'm going to do this weekend. Life is all about getting to uh, retirement and enjoying hobbies and fun and no evidence of Lord Jesus. Come home, you watch uh, something to relax, and you watch a television program that um, none of the characters have any recognition of anyone greater than them. If there's a Christian mentioned, it's probably... Uh, for comic relief to ridicule. You watch movies over and over and nothing gives any evidence of anything other than just this world. And we're bombarded with the message of look out for number one, uh, take care of yourself, get what you can get now. You only have one life, so just have a lot of fun. And lies down at night. And even a believer plays over the day and thinks, you know, there were times in the day when I didn't act much as though Jesus was Lord. I showed anxiety. I was worried about something. I was um, jealous. I was envious. I was impatient. I was angry. He finally dozed off, and, and we live a day like that, 
And we hear this confession of everything is under his feet, under his control. We come together and we proclaim Jesus is Lord. But is there any evidence of that as we look out on the world around us and the life we live? Is there a sign that he really is? Had to be a question for those who were the receivers of this letter. Um, they lived in a pagan society, so on their way to work, they would have passed by countless uh, shrines. Their work probably would have involved an organization that would have made sacrifices to some pagan god. Uh, the civic f um, celebrations and events would have been based on pagan gods, and, and everything around them would have said, emperor is in control, Rome is in control, Rome is Lord, and even to the point of calling the emperor God, and they would have had to ask, we say Jesus is Lord, but as we go through, do, do we see this? And that's what the writer of Hebrews is addressing now. Let me kind of see the flow of what's going on. The book of Hebrews is all about Jesus being better, um, the, the superior fulfillment of things in the old covenant. He was greater than the prophets. He's greater than the angels. And we took a brief pause to remind us, therefore, don't abandon him. Um, there's no one better to go to. Stay with Jesus. And we're returning to the argument of Jesus being superior to the angels. And so he says, um, for it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. And he quotes Psalm 8, the psalm that we sung. It's the psalm that says, what is man that you were mindful of him, the son of man that you attend to him, you think of him. You made him for a little time, For you made him a little lower than the angels, um, the, the Hebrews translating it a little time underneath the angels uh, to, to point us to Jesus, the one who is incarnate, God who comes in the flesh. And, and he says, this is one who is crowned with glory and honor and everything is put in subjection under his feet. This is pointing us to Jesus. And so he's going to unpack this psalm for us to say, look, this is saying that he is subjecting everything underneath the Son of Man, underneath Jesus. Everything is going to be under his authority, under his dominion. And so he reminds us, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing out of his control. Everything is under the control of Jesus. Everything will be subjected to him in the world to come. That means every king, every president, every general, every major industry, every major economy, everything, and even individuals and our own hearts, that all of us will bend the knee and confess Jesus is Lord. All things will be subject to him. Nothing will be outside of his control. Nothing is outside of his authority. And yet at present, verse 8, right now, we do not see everything subjected to him. In other words, this is the world we live in. It's, it's, we don't see the evidence of this. We don't see what is to come. The world we live in is still in rebellion. The world we live in is still in lies. The world we live in is still 
um, deceiving ourselves that we are in control and that we can be our own gods and that other things are going to bring us joy and satisfaction and peace. And we're living in a world that is not subject to him. We don't see it. And, and, and what he wants us to see is that this is not because Jesus failed. This is not because God lied. This is not because there's a mistake. This is because this is the plan that was laid out in Psalm 8 and all of the Old Testament. But Psalm 8 tells us the Son of Man is to be made for a little while lower than the angels. And then he will be crowned with glory and honor, and all things will be subject to him, put in subjection under his feet. It's a process. It's, it's stages. And, and, and we've already seen the first part of that is he is made a little lower than the angels. The Son of God takes on flesh, dwells among us, and lives our life with us. God, in his glory, leaves that glory. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, leaves that glory and honor and takes on himself humility of being born in the flesh, of growing, of being hungry, of being tired, of getting a cold, of wanting his mommy, of going through all of the life that we do, of, of growing up and living and facing temptation and dealing with everything, even to the point of death and suffering on the cross. He is made a little while lower than the angels. And so we remember that there is a, a, a pattern here. There's a, a story that's being laid out, but we see him who was for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. We see the one who came to us. We see God in the flesh. We say to him, and then he goes to the next stage of that, that he is crowned with glory and honor. So that we look at him now, who was, hum who was humbled, we look at him now and see him crowned with glory and honor. Now, when I hear that, I immediately want to think of him exalted Jesus coming back on the white horse, ready to take names, ready to enter into things. But what does the author of Hebrews see as his crown of glory and honor? Why is he crowned with honor and glory? Why is it now we don't see everything subject, but we do see him crowned with honor and glory? We see him crowned with honor and glory because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. His, his glory is shown on the cross. His honor is shown in the ultimate humiliation. His honor and glory are displayed in what we see as the great humiliation and the, and the great defeat and what we would see as the, the, the worst moment the author of Hebrews says, look at that. That displays God's glory. When the Son of Man is lifted up on the cross before all, and his love for us is shown in his willingness to suffer, his willingness to take on the cross of crown, or the, the crown of thorns and to be pierced to the cross, that shows God's glory because it shows his willingness to take our sin and our suffering and to love us to the point of doing that and because that is the moment death was defeated, sin was destroyed, 
his glory and honor is shown in what looks like the most powerful defeat, it is actually the greatest victory because Satan is destroyed at that moment. And that is his glory and his honor. Theologians talk about Jesus' humiliation and exaltation. Imagine a big V. He's up here. He's in, in honor. He's in glory. He's with the Father. And he becomes incarnate among a poor family. And he endures the sufferings of life and even goes to the grave, even suffers death. But that moment of suffering and death is also the, the, the turning point as he is now resurrected and as he ascends to sit at the right hand of God the Father and his, he is now seated in, in glory with him and his majesty is displayed. And then we find ourselves in that pattern and we await the coming of his kingdom when he will return and he will subject everything under him and he will bring about a perfect kingdom of peace and justice, and love, and the world will be remade. And we await that, but now we see him crowned in glory and honor because of that suffering, because of that death that he tasted for all. We live in this time in between Jesus' victory over death and the consummation of his kingdom, the fullness of his kingdom, the fullness of all things coming in and being set right. In other words, we live in a world where he has destroyed Satan, and yet Satan still lies and Satan still fights, and we still see rebellion, and we still see destruction and division and people abusing others and greed and lies and mistreatment and injustice. And we, we ask ourselves, did he really win? Is he really Lord? Will everything be subjected to him? And we have to look with hope and with faith in this in-between moment. For the writer of Hebrews, faith, he brings out a different angle. We read other parts of the Bible, and faith is really talking about trusting and resting. Hebrews is going to point out an aspect of faith that is hoping for the coming reality. It's It's the substance of things not seen. It's looking forward to what God is going to do in the future and trusting that it's going to happen. And that is what we are doing now is living by faith of what is yet to come. And it, and it makes sense. This is the way the, the things in our world works. King Charles III, well, the moment Queen Elizabeth died, they said the queen is dead, long live the king. He is now king, and yet currency still has the queen on her. They haven't printed up the new money yet. Their mailboxes still got an ER on them. They're still working on getting his logo just right. He is king, and yet maybe you saw even in the time of mourning, there were several stages of him taking vows before parliament and others. As he is entering into his kingdom and entering into his reign, he still has to do certain things. I particularly, forgive me the, the slight excursus, I particularly enjoyed the part when I got to see the new king take his vow to uphold the true Protestant religion and the form of discipline of the Church of Scotland, the Presbyterian form of government. So I... Uh, Anyway, the kingdom is still entering in, and, and that's the way it is, especially in, in war times. Like, 
uh, after the, the, the powers won at D-Day, and, and the victory was known and everything was assured, it was still nearly a year before surrender and before that reign was recognized. And so it is now that Christ has defeated the enemy, and yet we still live in the midst of rebellion and sin. But we are called to trust that all things have been subjected to him and live into that. So that means, what do we do? Well, we need to remind ourselves that all things are subject to him. We need to remind ourselves, since we are so bombarded by a world telling us that others reign and others will be our source of joy and others will be what gives us peace, we need to remind ourselves. And so that's part of what we do as we gather together is we remember Christ is Lord. He reigns, and his kingdom is coming. And and so we need one another. We need brothers and sisters to get together and and encourage us and remind us when we're going through difficulties of life and and when we are doing things, if someone say, God is sovereign. He is in control. This life is not what it will be, and we need one another. But also we need to live remembering who we truly are subject to, that he is our Lord. And though the world around us doesn't honor him as Lord and rebels against him and seeks security everywhere but in Jesus, it can be very easy for us to be led astray and seek to find our hope in things other than Jesus our hope in acquiring, our hope in getting things of this world that are good gifts but not the ultimate fulfillment, which is Jesus. And it might be that some of us have heard the message of Jesus and we've, we love the idea of forgiveness, but we've never really in our hearts said, I'm submitting to him. I'm trusting him as Lord. And I'm going to be obedient to him. And so we all make the decision to say, I, every day, and going to follow my Lord and be obedient to this kingdom that is coming. I'm going to be gracious with others. I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to reach out and be generous. I'm going to serve those in need. I'm going to love neighbors. I'm going to share with others his goodness. And that we, we live into that for uh, that is the reality that is to come, and if that is the reality that we're waiting and the reality that we're hoping for and the reality that we're looking at, that needs to be the reality that we live into, that we bend our knee to Jesus. Made him a little while lower than the angels. We see him now crowned with glory and honor, and in the world to come, everything will put be subject under his feet. Let us stand and profess what we believe through the words of the Nicene Creed.